Hello Hope Brooklyn, uh, my name is Drew. I'm a pastor at Hope Midtown and currently at Hope Chelsea as well. And I know this is a rare occasion for me to be with your congregation today. Uh, and under these circumstances, I'm sad that I can't be with you in person, but this will have to do. I know over the last few weeks, we've been in the sermon series on Missio Day, the mission of God. And we've been exploring different missional practices and the way that God has called us as a sent people to our neighbors, our friends, our family, and to those who maybe have not experienced God in all of his fullness. And so today I've been given the assignment uh, to preach on Missio Day as it relates to a topic that perhaps you might think, how in the world does this even relate to the mission of God? And it's a topic of Sabbath keeping. Uh, now, Sabbath, of course, is actually uh, a commandment given by God to the people of God to rest and to stop from work. Now, what does that have to do with the great commission, which is this mission to go and make disciples of all nations uh, and demonstrating and following the, the teachings of Jesus and baptizing people in his name? Uh, now, what does stopping and resting have to do with that? Well, of course, if you talk about the great commission, there's also the great commandment. And many scholars have noted that the great commandment, uh, in fact, is actually seen in the Ten Commandments. And the fourth commandment in the Ten Commandments is this commandment to remember the Sabbath day and to keep it holy. In other words, Sabbath keeping was this way of remembering God and having God be the foundation of our lives in everything that we do. And of course, that everything includes mission. Now, uh, I'd like to start actually by, by sharing a little bit about myself. Um, and I'll tell you how Sabbath keeping has literally saved my life. Um, I came from uh, an immigrant Korean-American family in Los Angeles. That's where I was born uh, in 1979. And my parents came here, they immigrated to the States. And so my father came, and I remember the earliest stories he would tell me, um, is that he came to this country with $80 in his pocket. And he would say, I, I came here with $80. What are you gonna do with your life? You know, and it was always this kind of guilt trip thing of like, hey, you better make the most of your life. You better make this $80 count. And so my dad, of course, he was someone who worked tirelessly. Uh, he worked multiple jobs and he went to school on top of that. Meanwhile, my mom, she uh, became a registered nurse. And I remember the, the rhythm of our family life was uh, we were latchkey kids. And basically what that means is we were kind of on our own for the most part. But my mom, she would be working the graveyard shift as a registered nurse at the local hospital. She would, I remember she would walk in the mornings into the front door and she'd be wearing her scrubs and she would make us breakfast, get us ready to go to school. And off we went, we would walk to school and uh, later I would find out that what would happen is my mom, of course, she would take off her scrubs and get you know, cleaned up and she would take a long nap. And then she was always there to pick us up after school in the afternoon. And she would take us home, make sure we did our homework, get dinner prepared, feed us. And then of course the, the nightly ritual was she would go into her room and she'd come out again and she'd be in scrubs. And we'd wonder, where are you going? She said, I I'm going to work. Now, my mom is just a microcosm of kind of what was embedded into my psyche, not only for my mom, but also for my father. Now, this story, this story of, I call it the immigrant hustle, because this is what we do, we work. Now, fast forward to uh, when I was in college, I graduated and I moved to New York, 
and I was an intern at a church and I basically raised $7,500 to move to New York and I lived off of $7,500 for the entire year, over 12 months in New York City. Now, this was way back when, but I worked at the church, I scrubbed toilets, I set up for mom's groups, I did all sorts of manual labor. Uh, and again, this, this kind of this impulse to do and to create and to work that was in me. And so uh, the following year, I actually went to seminary. Now I went to seminary over in the Boston North Shore area at a seminary called Gordon-Conwell. Seminary is this graduate school for people who are studying theology and that sort of thing. And so I was actually, and now here's what I would do though. I was working uh, while I was in seminary, which was a full-time graduate student kind of load. I was actually working at the seminary as a janitor as well. So here I was then working full time and I, ha I had this janitorial job. Now every weekend though, I would hop on the Chinatown bus from Chinatown, Boston. I would take the commuter rail down to the Chinatown bus in Boston and I would take that bus, the Funghua bus, all the way to Chinatown, uh, Manhattan. And here I was in Manhattan on the weekends and on the weekends, I would then go and work at the church that I was at, at New Life Fellowship. I was working the entire weekend and basically Sunday afternoon would arrive and then I would hop on the Chinatown bus and head all the way back to Boston again. And I would start my week as kind of a full-time graduate student as well as a janitor. Meanwhile, still working at this job in a different city. Now, you might imagine then, um, by the age of 25, when I graduated from seminary, I was toast. I was so tired, I was exhausted, and I was done. I had many sleepless nights. I found out how prone I was to depression and to going through difficult seasons in my life. And so after that moment, I um, just realized I needed something. I needed help big time. That impulse to work, to produce, to not rest, but to go all out, and to run in such a manner so that I would exhaust myself and be burnt out at the tender age of 25. That is in me, it's in my bones, it's in my family's history, it's in the war-torn history of Korea, it's in this impulse to come here as an immigrant and to make it. And so I want you to kind of imagine there's an avalanche of pressure that lives within me to produce, to work. Now, of course, couple that with living in the city that never sleeps. In New York, which is the epicenter of not only everything that's happened with this virus, of course, but it's the epicenter of this driven, ambitious kind of way of life. And so in many ways, New York, as well as my own um, impulses, uh, are in many ways a recipe for disaster especially for my own personal life. And that's why at the age of 25, I was incredibly exhausted, tired, burnt out, and angry at God. Now, what's strange is that even my Christian faith actually um, fed this impulse to overwork because there was this belief that after I became a Christian, you're saved by God's grace, now get to work. And that was what was in me as well, this impulse to do as much as I can, to be on mission, uh, to constantly be producing. And this pressure that I feel, even as a vocational minister, is this pressure to produce and to somehow make my life worthy before God. Uh, AJ Swoboda, who's an author of a book called Subver Subversive Sabbath, 
um, one of the things that he notes is that we can keep all of the commandments, but Sabbath keeping, which is the fourth commandment, it's the one commandment that Christian ministers can get fired for, for keeping, not for breaking, but for keeping this commandment. Uh, from churches. Now, isn't that interesting that somehow it's not only New York and the city that we live in, but it's also sometimes even the heritage of perhaps American Christianity that can be so in me that I believe that I'm only worth what I produce and how much I can work. Now, what's fascinating about this is that the story of the people of Israel, when they are introduced to this practice of Sabbath keeping, it comes as a, at a very unique time in their own history and in their own story. You see, for over 400 years, the Israelites had been slaves in Egypt. So if you can imagine, 400 years, uh, longer than the history of the United States since the uh, Declaration of Independence. If you can imagine, for 400 years, what's been imbued in the psyche of the Israelites. They are slaves to the people of Egypt. And in Egypt, of course, they're measured by how much they produce uh, and by how much work um, that will net profit for their owners and whatever else um, their work might net. Now, if you can imagine then, right after they uh, escape from Egypt and they go as they're wandering in the wilderness and God gives them a commandment and he gives them these commandments, which is the 10 commandments. And these 10 commandments, much like the rest of the book of Deuteronomy was, was all an explanation of you are now my people. You are now my people, but you are distinct people from the people of all the earth and of all the nations and even of who you were in Egypt. And these 10 commandments then are to be these markers then of this is how you are distinctly the people of God. Now it's interesting, right in there with these commandments of you shall have no other God before me. You shall not use the Lord's name in vain. You shall not commit murder. You shall not bear false witness. In the middle of that is this commandment. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. I was like, whoa, are you serious? Like of all the commandments, this is one of them that makes it into the top 10? It's the fourth commandment? Like where in the world is this commandment coming from? Now it's interesting because in Deuteronomy chapter five, the commandment is given, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And a reason is given for why this commandment is so important. In Deuteronomy five, it says this, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy, why? for you were slaves while you were in Egypt. But now you are free. Because you are free, I want you to remember the Sabbath day and to keep it holy. Wait a minute, what, what in the world is going on here? Like, isn't this fascinating what God is basically saying to his people? After years and centuries of living under the yoke of this belief that you are what you produce. You are your work. You are how much you can give me as an owner. That God actually says to his people, I'm gonna command you, I'm gonna command you to stop and to rest. Why? Because you are a free people. And every time you practice Sabbath keeping, this 24 hour period to stop and to rest, you're gonna be reminded that you are no longer slaves, 
but you are a free people. Now, here's the thing. You might have this impulse, even as I started talking about this idea of Sabbath keeping, you might have thought, oh, this guy's gonna talk about some sort of religious practice, and this religious practice is something that's gonna be like a yoke on me. But here's the thing about Sabbath keeping. You see, the phrase is not, do I have to keep Sabbath? It's, I get to keep Sabbath. I get to be reminded that I am a free person that I'm not bound or defined by what I do or what I produce, but how I am a free person. Now, even in the midst of this pandemic that we find ourselves in, where uh, I know I have been absolutely exhausted. We have a young family at home. We're trying to do work from home, as well as we're trying to serve the needs of our neighbors and our communities. And we're trying to homeschool, which is um, arguably the dif most difficult of all of those tasks. And with all of that happening, we realized, my wife and I realized that Sabbath keeping was one of the anchors that was gonna keep us and to remind us um, that God was on the throne and that we have the gift of receiving this free day to rest and to stop from any impulse to try to, to try to produce, to try to make our lives count and worth it or whatever that might look like. Uh, and it has been an absolute godsend. In fact, um, there was a book that was written by name uh, of Pearl Bensich. She wrote a book called um, Vanquishing the Dragon. And she writes about her, it's a memoir about her experience in the Holocaust. And she writes about how even in the midst of the Holocaust, as a seamstress, she would practice Sabbath and how Sabbath keeping actually kept her in the midst of an incredibly horrific time in her own journey, how it kept her rooted and centered in believing and hoping in the God of the people of Israel. Now here's the thing, this gift of Sabbath is here for you and for me. And in fact, this gift is actually what sustains us for mission in the long run. You see, because the rhythm that God had outlined was not a rhythm of simply like, be on mission 24 seven, you better produce, you better be serving everyone at every single time. No, 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 no. It's this rhythm of mission, but also rest and mission and rest, mission and rest. And you see this even in the life of Jesus. There are these moments where Jesus is feeding the 5,000, talking about the wonder and the splendor of God, pouring himself out, performing miracle after miracle. And what happens is Jesus also, he says to his disciples, hey, let's go away, go away for a while to rest. Let's go away. So even Jesus himself was practicing this rhythm of rest and of mission. Now, if you've ever been on an airplane, which I imagine many of us have, if you've ever been on an airplane, you've probably heard this phrase before. Before, in, an, in the case of an emergency, before you put on your own mask or put on the mask of your, uh, the person that you're, is dependent on you, whether it's a child or someone who needs your help, make sure you put your own mask on first. Now, that very principle is the principle of Sabbath keeping. Sabbath keeping is this invitation when it relates to the mission of God, where we are to put on our own masks, we're to rest, we're to receive, we're to be reminded that we are free people from God, that we receive his grace, the wonder of who he is. Now, I wanna talk about four different principles really quickly as it relates to Sabbath keeping, because what is Sabbath keeping and what does it look like? Well, the, the first principle I wanna talk about is the, the principle of stop, to stop. Now, the word Sabbath actually means to seize or to stop. 
And so what does this mean? It means to stop anything that feels like work over a 24 hour period. And so for me then, I take the time then to stop to disengage from technology as much as possible. I disengage from my work as a vocational minister as possible. And I, I take that time to, to be reminded that I am not defined by what I do. Now, Jerry Scazzaro, who's one of my mentors, one of the things that she says is, um, the clearest outworking of the gospel is Sabbath keeping. Now, what does she mean by that? What she was saying is, she says, the clearest outworking of the gospel, in other words, the gospel is this, is the good news that God's grace and his love is free. It does not, it's not based on your performance, how well you do, and it's the reminder that even when you're not producing, God loves you, he's pleased with you. In fact, he commands you to stop, to be reminded that his grace is still there for us. And so every Sabbath then, I'm reminded of the gospel, the good news that God's grace is enough, that I don't have to produce to somehow prove my worth to God or to anyone else, but instead I can simply stop. Now, the first principle is to stop. The second principle is to rest. Uh, embedded in this idea of Sabbath is this idea of rest. And in fact, in Hebrews chapter four, it talks about this principle of a Sabbath rest. It's a time that's supposed to replenish us, to give us rest. So one of the practices that I do on Sabbath is I take a nap every Sabbath. And our family knows this, our family um, collectively, we, we all try to rest together. So we do things, we avoid anything that feels like work or strenuous work. And we do this again to be reminded that God's love and his delight and his gift to us is actually to rest. Uh, A.J. Swoboda in that book that I mentioned earlier, Subversive Sabbath, he, he talks about how one of the interesting things about where Sabbath comes in uh, the creation narrative is um, if, if you know, if you've read Genesis chapter one and you, you have seen the, the rhythm of the creation account where God, in the beginning, God creates the world and everything in it and it culminates in the creation of Adam and Eve. Now the creation of Adam and Eve happens on day six. And what happens after day six? You know, there's this rhythm of after God creates everything, he says it's good, it's good, it's good. And then when he sees everything he's created, it's, it says, it's very good. He creates Adam and Eve, the crown of creation. Now, what happens immediately following the creation of Adam and Eve? It says, then God rested. He practiced Sabbath. Now, here's the extraordinary thing about this. If, if I were God and I created the universe and everything in it, and I created Adam and Eve, Right after I created them, I'd be like, wow, this is kind of uh, like my newest creation. Now, get to work, guys. Get to work. This is what you've been created for, to go and subdue the earth or to do whatever I've called you to do. But I think it's so beautiful that the first thing God calls Adam and Eve to is after they're created, God says, will you enter into this Sabbath rest? Will you enjoy the goodness of the garden? Will you enjoy the goodness of life? Will you enter this rest? 
In other words, what this principle is, is that we actually, a lot of times we think that what happens is um, I, am, I work and then resting comes after my working. And it's supposed to replenish me so that I can continue to work. But isn't it interesting? We don't work for our rest, but in the story of Adam and Eve, we work from our rest. The first thing they get to experience is Sabbath rest before they go about in their journey and call as the people of God in the world on mission together with God. So number one, stop. Number two, rest. Number three is to delight, delight. I mentioned this idea in Hebrews chapter four about how uh, we're supposed to enter into our eternal Sabbath rest. And in this image, it's this image of all the pleasures of heaven, the goodness that we experience in this world. This sense of delight is also supposed to be part of Sabbath keeping. In other words, every Sabbath when I stop, I rest, I have this time to enjoy the world around me. I go for walks. Uh, social distanced walks. I go for, we, we try to enjoy good food uh, as much as we can. We try to enjoy the goodness of our relationships. Uh, all of these different gifts are part of what Sabbath keeping is all about. It's this gift to not only say you're not defined by your work, but also to enjoy the goodness of God and the pleasures that he gives to us. W.H. Uh, Davies, he has this quote that I love. He says, what is this world if full of care? We don't have time to stand and stare. What is this world if full of care? We don't have time to stand and stare. Even in this moment, what, what are the gifts that God has given to us maybe where we can just be noticing the glimpses of grace that he has given to us to enjoy the gifts of God? Now, I realize in the midst of this pandemic, that's an incredibly difficult task. But it's one of those things that I know that can uplift any spirit and heart, especially as we think about living on mission, we need to be sustained for the long run. And one of those ways that God gives us to us is through delight. Now, lastly, stop, rest, delight. And the last one is to contemplate. Uh, what's different about Sabbath than simply a day off? It's a day in which we um, have kept this day sacred as to the Lord. It's not a day where it's simply, oh, this is where I'm going to get all those leftover chores or less leftover work done that I didn't get done on the other days of the week. No, it's a day where Eugene Peterson says to pray and to play. It's a day where we can contemplate, where we can remember the goodness of God, where we can um, be journaling and reflecting about the ways that God has been meeting us in the midst of all that we're going through. I know that one of the practices that I have is it's usually a day where I will spend more time in scripture. And so the kids will be playing with uh, their Legos and I will be simply reading scripture. And the kids know that they'll come and I'll say, hey, do you want to read with me? And they'll say, ah, uh, no. Uh, but of course, I'm trying to model for them because for me, scripture reading is one of those practices that again, keeps me rooted in the person of Jesus. Now, all of this all of these different dynamics of a Sabbath, stop, rest, delight, and contemplate, are meant to be a gift to you and to me. It's supposed to be this gift that helps sustain us for mission so that we can follow the great commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind um, so that we could actually fulfill the great 
commission, the Missio Dei. And I trust and I hope that this gift of Sabbath in the way that it saved my life, because here's the thing, I am a workaholic. My name is Drew, I'm a workaholic. I must admit that. But I can't tell you just how meaningful Sabbath has been in my own life and journey, how it's kept me and saved me. And I can't tell you um, just how often throughout the week I find myself saying, I can't wait for Sabbath. I can't wait for Sabbath. Sabbath is coming. And on Sabbath, when we light our candle and we give our kids some chocolate or some candy, just as a marker of, hey, we're entering into this sacred space to be reminded that whatever is going on in life, that God wants to remind you and me that we are free people who are deeply loved, not by what we produce, but simply by His grace. And therefore, we can stop, rest, delight, and contemplate. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the gift of Sabbath. Thank you that it is a reminder that you love us and care for us freely and graciously, and that we don't have to depend on ourselves, but we get to receive this gift. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.